and welcome back spooky people. I would like to welcome you back to That Spooky Life. I am your host Miranda and I am glad that you are here. Uh, Today we have some wonderful stories and things to share, one of which I have not honestly thought about in years and another from a very dear friend of mine who (laughs) has officially spooked me out. I've heard part of this story before, but seeing it in her wonderful writing has uh, creeped me out all over again. So, I hope you guys are ready. I hope Mercury Retrograde has not been too terrible for you. Uh, It is almost over. March 10th, it will be done for now, and we have a couple of other retrogrades and supermoons coming up. Yeah, hopefully you are doing well and the flu season has not caught up with you. So, let's dive right in. My story for this week comes from, oh, what year was it? I was 19, so it was 2003, and I had a very unique opportunity through my first mentor to travel to the Hopi Indian Reservation in Arizona. And this came about because I was helping teach summer camps with her. She was my art teacher. And she was also my first sort of witchy metaphysical mentor. And she had given me an amazing opportunity because she saw that I was an artist And we were not very well off money-wise. We were pretty poor. I had to start working pretty early. And she saw that I was an artist, saw that uh, what she felt was talent. In addition to seeing more subtle things about me that we did not start out discussing at the time, basically. She saw my gifts before I had ever really talked to anybody about them, etc. So she actually offered me art lessons that she did not charge me for. And I ended up doing a lot of things with her. One of them was a charity motorcycle ride to fund the trip to Arizona that we were going to take. On that trip, she, or on the, on the charity ride, she specifically made sure that I was with her because I was, I was 19. You know, I was, I was legal at that point, but she had ulterior motives that I now appreciate. And we talked about seeing auras, seeing spirits, things like that for the first time in my life. I really, um, I had one friend count them one friend who I talked to any sort of thing like that about. And even then I hate to say it, but like I was scared to open up about a lot of things because I thought, you know, oh, they're going to think I'm crazy. You know, what if I'm not actually seeing this? All the the weird second guessing stuff in the teenage years. I now know that I absolutely could have opened up to that friend because we're still friends and we still talk about these things together all the time now. But at the time, I was scared to. And my wonderful, wonderful art teacher was talking to me about it. And she was asking me what I felt, what I saw. And she led me through a guided meditation to get a feel of her spirit guides and all of this stuff. And it was the first time that I had a safe place that I could talk to somebody more knowledgeable than myself about these experiences. And I was just over the moon. So we get the money together. And of course, we paid for uh, we paid for our plane tickets and things like that. 
and it I took it out of my paycheck. I scrimped and I saved and I believe it was our hotel that was paid for by the charity, uh, the charity drive. But we flew out to Arizona. It was my first time on a plane. Uh, I want to say there were, there were seven of us. Uh, there were seven of us out there that were going to teach art at the elementary school on the first Mesa. And it was because my art teacher was, had become friends with the chieftain of the Hopi tribe at the time. So we made arrangements to teach art out there. And we were also going to just spend time learning about the Hopi culture. While we were out there, we actually, there were four of us that planned to go to the Grand Canyon and the Painted Desert and the Petrified Forest, actually. So it was going to be like a huge, big trip, huge, big experience. And it absolutely was. It was one of the more incredible experiences of my life right up there with the first time I went to the UK, like huge, huge deal. And I learned so much in a very short amount of time. I'm actually really sad because my art teacher who was such a good influence and such a big influence in my life in our hometown kind of got I mean, she was basically outcast because she was the weird new agey witchy lady. And because her husband had some prestigious positions, she basically sort of had to remove herself from the public eye so that it didn't affect him because that's the kind of small town politics bullshit that I grew up in. And it breaks my heart. I am still in touch with her. I adore her dearly, but I'm going to leave her name out of it because I know that there was a huge impact on a lot of this. And this trip kind of started that snowball, unfortunately. And it really bugs me, honestly, that in 2020, still recently, I have talked to her recently, still in 2020, she is ostracized from like society in this town because of an amazing thing that we did and experienced that is one of the best memories that I have. It was such an incredible time, incredible experience. I still remember almost every moment, every detail of it so very vividly. And the fact that people, I mean, for lack of a better term, shit on her for all of that, it really irritates me, like, to the point that I get non-verbally angry about it. So I'm going to move on from that. But we're, we're out in Arizona. We have a wonderful time got to actually see the ancient village on the first Mesa called Walpi, uh, met the elders of the tribe, this wonderful woman who was the elder of the tribe. She was like 103 years old. She lived in the village, in the house that she grew up in, no running water, no central heating air, no electricity, none of that. It's just the stone houses that they lived in up on top of the Mesa. And she would tell us stories about how the the runners would run down the Mesa and come back. That was like their rite of passage. And she was hilarious. I swear to you, this woman who was 103 at the time that I met her, like 16 years ago, looked like she was 85 and chatted like she was even younger. She was so sharp in her mind. I It was incredibly, like, wherever she is now, I hope she is giggling down at all of us because she is a, she was a wonderful woman that I will never forget. So the place that they have to stay out there for visitors is the Hopi Cultural Center, and it has a hotel attached. 
And I made some friends with some Japanese exchange students out there. And it was the first time I learned how to spell my name in uh, kanji and hiragana and katakana. And we had a wonderful time. And there was a lot of things that we did. You know, we taught art each day. And then one of the days, uh, my art teacher and her two closest friends stayed to teach art while a couple of us went to Painted Desert, Grand Canyon, all that. So one of the ladies who I loved, she was sassy, brassy, chain smoked. She just had heart surgery. And she was one of the ladies that I flew out there on the plane with. And, you know, we took it slow for her because she was not, she had just been sort of released from her physical therapy from her heart surgery. I want to say it was like the last night that we were there. Uh, we're all sitting in one of the the two hotel rooms that we had and we're discussing our experience and how wonderful it was and how our sort of touristy field trip had gone and other things that we did experience. And my art teacher, one of her best and oldest friends was there. And I did not hit it off with this lady quickly. I was sort of, I knew a couple of the people who were there going into it. uh, But I met, especially this lady, for the first time, actually at the Hopi Cultural Center, despite the fact that she was from my side of the country, basically. And I was 19. I was, as I still am, sort of to project the the sort of standoffish to a point like I'm not initially necessarily very friendly if I am not in my comfort zone and I was not in my comfort zone and she was very enthusiastic uh, very the Pinkie Pie personality all of my little pony talking about how her dead husband was with her and talking to her a lot and you know they still had conversations and that he thought I was very interesting and all of this stuff and it was a little too much from the get-go for me. So I warmed up to her a bit over the week, but when she would start talking about things overly enthusiastically, I admit that because I was uncomfortable, I would sort of just sit back and watch things rather than engage. And she was talking to the lady that I had arrived with who had had her heart surgery and Another lady there named Faye was a Reiki healer. And so the enthusiastic friend was like, oh, Faye, would you mind like, you know, showing her how Reiki healing works because it was a new concept and Barbara was very interested in this. And so Faye agreed and she, they were explaining what was going to go on to both her and me. And my mentor thought it would be a great opportunity for me to observe and see if I saw anything and sort of get a feel for things. And I agreed. So I sat on the bed next to the enthusiastic friend and uh, I watched and it's kind of cool. Uh, It's one of the only times I've ever actually seen uh, Reiki healing. Uh, It is the only time I've ever had an opportunity to observe a Reiki healing session and not just uh, receive a little bit of Reiki healing because I have some friends who do some of that. And as I watched, I saw, I saw their auras. I've always been able to see auras. And I saw that Faye's was sort of like a silvery blue and Barbara's was bright and a little bit yellowy, which didn't seem good to me. Like it wasn't like, oh, it's a bright, lovely sunflower yellow. No, you could tell that she was in pain, that something was wrong. And there's a dip in her aura over her left shoulder. 
And I was like, oh, I bet that's the pain. You know, she just had the heart surgery, et cetera. And so I watch, and as I'm watching, um, it was really kind of cool because Faye's aura began to sort of commingle with Barbara's until they had sort of created a circuit. And I could see Faye's energy going into Barbara and things like that. And it was really cool. And during this process, sort of like this bubble of energy came up between them. And I realized that it sort of started to look like a, a face, like an almost like a camera negative image of a face. And it seemed to look to Barbara and look to Faye and then look back to Barbara for a second and then looked up at me. And as it sort of looked up at me, the enthusiastic friend next to me goes, oh my God, there's a face. Someone's there. Now I prefaced the fact that I had been closed off and sort of like when I was not super comfortable because I hadn't said anything. I was literally just observing and at best my eye twitched when I saw this because again, I was used to seeing things. I didn't talk about it, but I was used to seeing things that other people didn't see. And enthusiastic friend was not looking at me. She was looking at the Reiki healing session going on in front of us. And she starts going on in great detail about the face and the person that she's seeing. And I just get quieter and quieter to the point that I'm not breathing almost because she's describing what I'm seeing. And I was seeing it before she said anything. And she was describing exactly the same thing. And she looks at me and I sort of cut my eyes over to her because I was like, don't, don't, don't do this. I didn't say anything. But in my mind, I was thinking, don't, don't do what I think you're going to do. And she looked at me and she said, you see it too, don't you? And I was like, yes. And my mentor looked at me and her eyebrows went up. She was like, what are you saying? I was like, well, I was seeing the two auras. I saw them come together and I explained to her how it sort of manifested. And she was like, okay, well, what are the details? Do you see it now? And I said, no, she's gone away now. But basically the same thing. And of course, we're a room full of artists, right? So my mentor says, I've got pads, I've got pencils. What I want you two to do is I want you to go on separate sides of the room so you cannot at all see what the other is drawing. And I want you to draw what you saw. So it took me a little while. And like I said, I basically got like a photo negative image. So I literally just did the shadows and the highlights. I, I drew it how I saw it. Enthusiastic friend comes back and has like a fully detailed sketch. However, they matched. It was an elderly woman with like a loose bun on top of her head and like a high collar necklet or a high collar neckline on whatever clothing she had sort of manifested. I see enthusiastic friend's picture and I was like, wow, internally, because this was the first time I had ever had any sort of validation like that. Like nobody else had ever seen what I saw enthusiastic friend starts squealing and bouncing and is super, super thrilled about this. She's like, oh my God, that's exactly what I saw. And so Barbara, who was getting the healing, she was like, well, let me see, let me see. We showed her and she burst into tears and it took her a minute to compose herself because they're like, oh my God, are you okay? What's wrong? And she looked at the both of us and she said, that's my great aunt or that's my aunt. 
um, and she, I don't remember how long it had been, but it had not been long. It was within the last year that this woman had passed on. She was weeping because she was like, that, that is my aunt. She, she was the one who always, you know, checked up on me, made sure I was going to the doctor, things like that. And I was like, well, apparently she's still checking on you. I have no idea what her intent was. I, I, I would assume that she was there to, to help and oversee, at least make sure what was happening was cool or whatever. I sort of tuned out and the, the rest of the evening is kind of fuzzy because that was like a really intensely emotional, strange situation for me at 19 who had sort of been in and out of the throes of anxiety for a week. So I don't remember how it all sort of came to a close, but it was a very interesting experience, a very good learning experience. And one of the first times that I had gotten real tangible validation on what I had been seeing, uh, really for, for one of the first times in my life. And that is my spooky story for the week. Our listener story comes from a dear friend of mine today. She is one of my favorite storytellers. I personally enjoy reading a a lot of her writing and was super excited when she pinged me to let me know that she had sent in a story to the podcast. So I hope you guys enjoy this as much as I do. Uh, Sarah writes, first of all, I grew up in a haunted house four miles from Chickamauga Battlefield. I constantly heard footsteps and voices late at night or when no one was home. And so did my father. He was working under the house one day and heard somebody walking around, except my mother and I were not at home. Friends who came for sleepovers would ask who was talking at 2 a.m. and if it was my parents. It wasn't. I would shrug and say, it's just the house. Then there were the Confederates. We lived on the old post road that ran from the cavalry post that was at Fort Oglethorpe to the shooting range that used to be on the other side of Ringgold. Both were still in use up through World War I. In any case, every so often I would see gray-coated figures marching past in the twilight. Only a few, and they were always going towards Chickamauga, never away. That battlefield is famously haunted by a spirit nicknamed Old Green Eyes, who does not appear to have ever been human. That's a whole other story. Pro tip, do not, when you are young and green and full of yourself, try to lay a powerful spirit that is bigger, older, and meaner than you. Just trust me on this one. That sounds like another story, by the way. I'm going to pause here for a second. That sounds like another story I would really like to hear about, in fact. You... You even said that's a whole other story. Oh, really? Please do tell. My my email is so empty and, and I need to hear. <laughs> so basically, I grew up seeing and hearing ghosts and they generally did not phase me. When I was in college at Georgia State in the late 80s, I lived in a 1920s apartment building in Inman Park called the Pendleton. The stairway was haunted by a skinny, long-haired blonde guy who, based on his appearance and general vibe, seemed like he hadn't been there that long. 1960s at the earliest, more likely 1970s. Definitely not as old as the building. He didn't seem to notice living people much, and didn't really respond or interact with anyone. He would just hang out in the stairwell, being faintly sad. That, that's, that's so sad. I feel, I feel kind of bad for him, other than the fact that 
as a little spooky. Like, oh, there's not actually a person there. What's going on here? That's not an eternity I would like to keep. I'll just say that. My then boyfriend and another friend decided to rent a house. The two of them found this big four-bedroom house on Kennesaw Avenue that was renting for $175 per month, and they became all starry-eyed about what a great bargain it was and started trying to convince me that we should all move in. Now, that was outrageously low, even for the time. My place in the Pendleton was three fifteen per month. We were young and dumb and didn't stop to consider why a four-bedroom house in the middle of Atlanta was renting for less than my studio apartment. We picked up another roommate for the fourth room and thought we were all set. Yeah, that's, that's not going to end well. It's true that it didn't have air conditioning. It's also true that, like most of Atlanta, the neighborhood was a lot sketchier than it is now. The neighborhood included prostitutes at either end of the street and a crack house across the way. That wasn't the whole problem, though. As if that wasn't enough, by the way, just as a side note. First of all, I never really liked that house and spent as little time there as possible. I dragged my feet about moving out of my studio to the point where it pissed the other two off because I didn't like sleeping there. And that was after I'd done my baby pagan house cleansing on the place. Secondly, we'd come home and all the windows would be open. In the wintertime and the heat would be cranked all the way up. The cat was nervous. My ex and our friend blamed the other roommate, but looking back on it now, I'm not so sure. None of us liked going down to the basement. I went down there once and refused to do so ever again. My ex, who was a martial artist, saw a shadowy figure and was so convinced that it was a person, who certainly wasn't supposed to be there, that he did a spitting back kick in reaction. It vanished. We then had a conversation about the fact that it was literally impossible for someone to break into the house from that direction. The windows were barred, the back door was triple locked and barred, and there were no back steps, so that the back of the house was a sheer drop from the doorway to a steep, kudzu-covered backyard. This fact becomes relevant. Now, we were a bunch of the nerdiest nerds who ever nerded, we regularly had late-night gaming sessions in the old-fashioned dining room that was plenty big enough for a large table for a large table suitable for spreading out books, maps, and dice. The dining room, of course, was next to the kitchen, which was the location of the door leading down into the basement. So, we're sitting there one night, close to midnight, slaying orcs or befriending orcs, depending, and we all hear footsteps. Heavy footsteps coming up the stairs. The room went completely silent. We're all listening. Stomp, 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 stomp. Pause. The door rattles. It visibly shakes. The doorknob turns. We all just kind of left. We didn't run or freak out exactly. But we didn't have to discuss it either. We all just looked at each other, picked up our stuff, and went somewhere else, including those of us who lived there. We moved out not long after. We sent a note to the landlord and got the hell out. I drove by there not too long ago out of curiosity. 
that house no longer exists. Sometime between 1989 and now, it was torn down and something else was built in its place. I couldn't even tell you for sure where it was. I just know it's no longer there. I hope the new house isn't haunted. <laughs> uh, yeah, the fact that you're just like, we just all kind of left. I would have gone just fucking screaming from the house. No, F all of that. That is horrifying. And uh, I'm glad everybody survived. Because that, mm-mm, mm-mm. Thank you, Sarah, for sending in this story. That is crazy. And I, too, hope that whatever is standing on top of where that house was had the earth salted beforehand and is not haunted as well. Because that's, uh, that's a lot right there. That's something trying to get out of the basement that, uh, yeah, none of that. So thank you for sharing your story with us. If you wonderful listeners at home have a story that you would like to share, please send it to that spooky life podcast at gmail.com and stay tuned because I almost guarantee you, your story will get read at some point. So thank you again, Sarah. And that is our listener story for the week. Our witchy tip for this week is a bit of a brief one and one that we've sort of talked about in other ways before but I don't think necessarily in this particular way. And sort of uh, piggybacks off of, off of our listener story in the, uh, in the old green eyes vein, which is actually a story I don't know. But my witchy tip for this week is mostly to, I'll take, I'll take Sarah's wording here, the baby pagans. If you're new to witchcraft, if you're new to spiritualism, if you're new to metaphysics and things like that, my tip is don't go looking for trouble. Yelling at ghosts, stirring things up where they need not be stirred. It's just never a good idea. There's never really a need for it. If you come across something where things are already stirred and you're noticing it and it's causing people problems, something like that, that's one thing. If you're going into something you've read up, you've done your research you know your details and you're confident that you know what needs to be done to deal with a particular situation. That's different. But like, don't go just looking in abandoned houses for demons, ghosts, anything like that. You know, I, there are a lot of different ideas about demons out there. Um, there's all kinds, all stripes. There's even people who can easily work with them for different reasons. I am not one to judge. But like, it doesn't seem likely that you're going to find a god or a, a fallen angel who has promised to help you in the basement of an abandoned house where you were going poking around trying to scare yourself. You know, I've stumbled on some interesting people in communities online recently, which is where a lot of this comes from. And I honestly, considering who of, you know, my listener base here and who I interact with the, on, on my online communities and things like that, I honestly believe that you guys listening right now are not these people. But on the off chance that someone who needs to hear this is listening, don't go looking for trouble. As a witch, 
you will find plenty of things that will draw your attention, that you will need to work on, that you will have to find ways to resolve. You will find plenty of things to do when you start to walk a witch's path. You don't need to go looking for trouble. If you are investigating a house for someone because they believe they're haunted and trying to handle and help issues, things like that for, for someone that you care about, someone that's paying you, whatever, that's different. We've talked about, you know, going in with respect and things like that before, but I see a lot of people out there who, this is going to sound strange and I'm not being judgmental. I don't care how you come to your path of enlightenment. But there's a, a very strange sort of niche of people who have adopted the sort of modern witchy, somewhere between bohemian and goth aesthetic, who do like sort of pagany witchy things, but it's almost more of an aesthetic for them. And they'll talk about how they went looking for the ghost of the murderer down whatever the like road in their town is. Or they'll specifically go demon hunting instead of like ghost hunting. And I'm like, no, just no. If you're new and you're looking for ways to explore the supernatural and metaphysics in your spirituality, there are plenty of ways to do so safely. And that is very important to me to to share with you all. There are many different ways, many different walks of life, many different paths for people to take. And I mean... Gemini here, I see both sides of every coin, you know, making mistakes can be great lessons and there will be mistakes that are made and lessons that you will learn for those, but just be safe. Don't necessarily go asking for trouble or looking for dangerous situations or trouble if you don't have to. Either way, maybe that's just the mama bear in me, but that is my witchy tip for the week. I hope you all have enjoyed this episode. Thank you to Sarah for our wonderful, creepy, horrifying listener story. And I look forward to making it to the end of retrograde with you all and seeing what next week might have in store for us. Uh, If you want to follow me on social media, I am on Instagram at that spooky life podcast. And of course, feel free to send any listener stories or any requests for types of stories or types of witchy tips that you might want to hear in the future. But until next week, I hope you have a wonderful, safe week. Keep uh, living that spooky life and we will see you next Friday. Bye.